This is the Mealtime Magic and Mayhem podcast. I'm Trisha Clark, your host, cooking coach, and kitchen mentor. We're here to talk about all things food, wine, travel, cocktails, and mealtime memories. So many memories are made around the table. We all know mealtime can be stressful, full of chaos and mayhem, but it's also the universal connector, a catalyst for communication and connection, and a time to create magic and memories. So many of our memories are tied to food, and I can't wait to share some of those stories with you here. I'm here to share ideas, inspiration, and stories to help you experience mealtime with a dash of magic and just a sprinkle of mayhem. You can expect new episodes weekly, including a mixture of interviews, personal stories, and some fun conversations about our adventures and misadventures in the kitchen and around the table. I hope you walk away feeling inspired to try something new in your kitchen or around your table to create more connection with your friends, family, and beyond. Thanks for being here. Welcome to another episode of Mealtime Magic and Mayhem podcast. This week, I am here with Amanda Rose. I've been stalking her for a while. We've connected on the interwebs, and so I'm so excited to actually have a conversation with her in person today. She is a multi-passionate entrepreneur, a cat mom, video game addict who loves good food and weightlifting. She is the CEO and founder of The Infinite Power of You, co-founder of the No BS Biz Company, and I've pretty much picked up on she is the no BS kind of girl. Business, wealth, and mindset coach, multi-genre best-selling author, motivational speaker, course creator, actor, and self-made millionaire. Not to mention cookbook writer, which is one of the reasons that we're here talking today. <laughs> she serves entrepreneurs worldwide with her unique approach that focuses on understanding each client's individual strengths and getting them into building their own methodology. I love that. There's too much cookie cutter stuff out there. And I know so much of my work is really personalized and trying to develop a methodology unique to every client. And so I I love to see that that's kind of where your heart lies too. So welcome. Thank you for having me. I just, as soon as as you started this podcast, I was like, oh my God, let's talk food. Like, (laughs) (laughs) yes. Yes. And I can literally sit here and talk food all day. It's probably a good idea if I set a timer, but I'll just try to keep an eye on the clock that we don't sit here for two hours because I can literally talk food all day, (laughs) all day. Okay. So I always like to start every interview with a fun question, a fun icebreaker question that I think really helps you get to know people in a different way. I call them table topics in my business, but today we're going to go with what's the weirdest food you've ever eaten? Oh man, that's a great question. And I, I almost feel like I don't have an answer because I'm really exploratory with food. <laughs> oh gosh. I don't know. I guess food doesn't seem weird to me. You know what? It wasn't food, but I've eaten live worm. Oh, I've eaten termites off a tree. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I would consider that weird. Most people would consider that weird. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, that's the weirdest thing. I wouldn't, again, qualified as food, but it's the weirdest thing I've eaten. Yeah. I mean, I guess it is a source of protein. So yeah. yeah. I mean, if you were trying to survive on a, on a deserted Island, I bet you might think of them as food. It could happen. Yeah. At that point, I was going to say, I mean, it still has food properties. It wasn't like I ate a piece of wood. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's a great question. Yeah. Yeah. I love trying things from all different cultures too. So, I mean, it all, it's all perspective based. Cause I mean, I, I love, I love Asian foods. I love, well, I noticed that Korean food. 
<laughs> I was just saying, you've probably seen in my cookbook, there's a lot of different types of food and a lot yes. of them are not you know, native to North America. <laughs> yeah. I actually really noticed that you do gravitate toward Asian foods. Did that come from traveling there or just living in a melting pot of different culture of foods? Like what really drove that? That's, I love the question. So I'm pretty sure that I have had at least one past life in Japan. So I feel really deeply connected to Japan. I always have. My mom said when I was born, she was like, I thought you were from China. Like, you're, you looked Asian. <laughs> I, like, I brought that with me. And, and I've always felt drawn to it. So, I mean, culturally, I love reading books from Japan and especially from the medieval era. And so I love exploring foods from over there. My husband laughs at me and so do other people. Like I can barely eat with a knife and fork. I almost exclusively eat with chopsticks. And <laughs> so I just love the food is so tasty. And then from the health perspective, as I've gotten older, you know, we see some of the longest living people in Asian cultures because they're eating a lot of fermented foods and, and the foods are healthy, but they are so flavorful. And so that, Cared my need for, I don't want to eat things that taste like cardboard just because they're low calorie <laughs> and healthy. Yeah. Like I want flavor. <laughs> Life is yeah. too short to eat boring food, hands down. Like, yes. I mean, if I die tomorrow, am I going to be happy that I ate like boiled broccoli today? Not really. <laughs> no, no. I'm going to go out with a bang. Yeah. Absolutely. That's where my heart is. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I wanted to talk to you about is I know that you've had a tumultuous relationship with food and you've mentioned yeah. to me before that, you know, dieting previously had, I mean, really fucked you up to be honest and yeah. mentioned three eating disorders. And now I look at you writing these cookbooks and you love to work out and you love good food kind of, you've been on the opposite sides of the spectrum. And so do you mind sharing a little bit about your journey there? Because I think that's really, really fascinating. Yes. And part of the reason I'm so passionate about food and healthy eating today and, and sharing that love with others, is I don't want other people to have to go down that rabbit hole that I went down. So for me, when I was very young, and I didn't know this until therapy many years later, <laughs> my mother left two weeks. And we didn't know whether she was coming back or not. And so I developed an abandonment issue. And at that point, it's, of course, as a child, you're like, I want to feel love and I feel empty. And so food became that filler at that point for me. So I was never full and it was an emotional disconnect for me. So I just, you put food in front of me, I would eat it <laughs> period over and out. So by the time I was even in kindergarten, like I was obese. And that continued year after year until I was just in my like early teens, 13, 14, and I hit 258 pounds. And I just, I hated the way I felt and looked. I'd been bullied fairly badly over it. And the big clincher for me is that, you know, I wanted to be go and be a famous actor. And guess what? <laughs> Especially back, you know, in the early 2000s. Well, they're all stick thin. And so I finally was frustrated and I was like, I'm going to lose the weight. I'm going to get it off. Like I had tried previously and not really been successful. So I started exercising every day for an hour and I cut back what I was eating and it was just a diet at first. But by the end of that first month, 
I had significantly restricted my food to the point where I was only eating one third of a cup of food three times a day. And that continued for about a year and three or four months. I know what starvation feels like firsthand. And I just, it was awful. And it was mentally awful because the whole time, it's not just the fact that my body was starving. And if anybody has been like a few hours late on a meal and you're like, I could kill somebody, that, that was my whole year. <laughs> it's not pleasant to be around. But the other aspects of it was just beating myself up in my head, hating the way I look, made myself like 30 times a day. My hair started falling out. By the end of the year, I'd gotten so thin, you could see my ribs. And just, I couldn't sleep anymore because laying on the mattress hurt. So, I mean, I, it, it was, it was going from a lifetime of binge eating to feel better and feel full to a full-time restrictive, don't get anything. And the mental illness of that was just horrendous. So finally I got to the point where I was like, okay, I'm going to die if I don't change something. And so I started to in increase what I was eating a little bit and kind of got to a point where I was just maintaining for a while. And that lasted a few years. And then I, I don't remember exactly what happened, but, oh yeah, I had a near-death experience. <laughs> That's what happened. <laughs> I ended up having really bad pneumonia when I was in college. And I coughed up blood one day in class. And we, I think they ended up calling an ambulance. And they were like, oh, well, it was an acting class. Da, 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 da. You're not coughing it up anymore. Like, you probably just really strained your vocal cord. And I was like, okay, all right. A week passes. And I'm like, I am not feeling well. If anybody's had pneumonia before, you know what happens is it sneaks up on you. You don't just like wake up going, I can't breathe. It's very gradual. So by the end of a week after that, I was like, I feel like, yeah. And so I ended up going to the hospital and they were like, oh, you've got sick, like really bad pneumonia. And I was like, yeah, I can barely breathe at night, like to go to bed. So they gave me the antibiotics and they were like, put down a boiling bowl of water next to your bed when you go to sleep, and that the steam will help you to breathe a little bit better. And so that night I was like, have my antibiotics, take over this bucket of water. And I put it on the floor. And when I leaned forward, just like that much blood came out of me that was in my lungs. It was, uh, I was choking on it. I could barely call the ambulance to come and pick me up. And when they finally came and they tested me, they were like, you were at 70% oxygen. So it was, I mean, that's what people went through with COVID recently mm -hmm. when they were severe. So it was, it was really, really bad. So anyway, after that, it was kind of like a bit of a wake up call to, you know, life is short, you could die any moment. and. So I ended up gaining some weight after that. And it was just really, really gradual. I didn't go nuts because I'd been so restrictive for so long. But over the next few years, I gained a little bit of weight. And then I became very self-conscious about it. And at that point, I was like, well, I can't do anorexia anymore because that was just living hell. So I was like, well, let's flirt with bulimia a little bit. Like, maybe I can eat. And that, yeah, it was awful. So I <laughs> one thing to the next. Yeah, clearly and, hadn't addressed uh, the root cause yet. Just... Yeah, that's exactly it. And so it became one of those things where it was just easier. And apparently, I, I don't have a great gag reflex. So laxatives were easier for me. <laughs> and so I, you know, that carried on for a while. And it really wasn't until I dove into personal development work and mindset work, that I was able to address the root because, you know, I had gone to therapy, I had talked to psychologists and all of these things. But 
that kept it from getting worse. It mm-hmm. didn't really ever get to the root. And I, and I know so many people who've been through different types of mental illness say the exact same thing. Like it's, it's like a band-aid, but you really needed stitches. And so that ended up allowing me to shift gears. And when I was finally able to do that, which was such a relief of my mid to late twenties at that point, that was significant. And that's when I really had it upon myself to not want other people to have to go through what I went through. Like I was just living hell, going through all of those different eating disorders, not to mention all the crap it did to my body, having too much food, not enough food, all of the above. And finding that happy middle ground again of enjoying food, seeing it as fuel, but also the fact that food is emotional. Mm-hmm. Like food has ties. Like you you smell a certain thing and all of a sudden you're five years old in your grandmother's kitchen again. Like there are, there's so many connections to food that we have in our lives that there's nothing wrong with it. Like we, we villainize it now. One person's saying, don't eat fats, don't eat carbs, don't eat sugar, blah, blah, blah. And I think it's ridiculous because we're meant to have the full experience, but mm-hmm. moderation and balance and all things for us to find a healthy groove for our body so that we're feeling good, feeling energized. We don't have the brain fog or adrenal fatigue or all those things that we have when we're imbalanced. So that's led me to where I am today, where I'm like, I love food. I love good food. (laughs) It's very flavorful and enjoyable, but that also makes me feel good. But at the same time, you know, I'm not going to say no. If somebody like, do you want to go and get some ice cream? Hell yeah. Yeah. I'm bored. (laughs) Yeah. So at what point, like, did you always enjoy cooking when, or is that something that you learned to love as you kind of embraced this, this new lifestyle? Is that where you found your love of cooking and creating recipes or was it always there and you had to learn how to change it to be healthier? Which, which one of those paths feels more, more like you? I definitely always had a love of like cooking was always very central in my home. Interestingly enough, my mother she lost her mother about nine years ago. And one of the biggest treasures is the recipe cards from Mm -hmm. her mom, because they, you know, there was all about being around the dinner table or going out for fine dining. And like, those were the family moments. And so cooking was something I always enjoyed and really loved learning about, you know, even ironically, being anorexic, you know, it wasn't just that I was cutting down how much I was eating. I was learning about food in those times. I was studying it and macronutrition, all of these things, applying it improperly because of the mental disorder that comes with an eating disorder. But it was always something that I loved and I continue to learn and I continue to embrace new ways of cooking and thinking about food and and also trying to educate others about it. And one of the things that people don't know who go on restrictive diets that I try and encourage them to learn is that your body adapts. Like if you cut down to 12 hundred calories a day, like so many people do when they diet. Mm-hmm. After a few weeks, your metabolism goes, oh, this is all the food we're getting. Let's hold on to what we've got because mm-hmm. it's a survival mechanism of the body. So I love learning the science behind how our body works, because as soon as you learn that, you're like, well, I should be eating more and turning my body into a fat burning machine and enjoying the process along the way, eating the foods that I love. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's really interesting. I watched my mom yo-yo diet like my whole life and go on these like, you know, restrictive 
1000 calorie a day diets and she lost weight and she always gained it back. And it was so interesting. I'd never thought of myself as having an eating disorder, but it's so interesting to hear my friends tell me now, Trish, you've been on a diet since you were 12. Right. And that hit me a few years ago. And I'm like, I never honestly even thought about it that way. And it was heartbreaking to realize just from watching wasn't even that anybody was telling me I was fat. It was just simply from what I watched my entire life. And while I carry around the extra pounds and I've had my experience with yo-yoing, I know that I eat much healthier, but I've always been very adamant that I don't want to do those super restrictive, those super restrictive diets. I've, I've watched them not work and I've tried them and I've been miserable and it made foods bad. Like you said, right? No food is bad. Yeah. It's everything in moderation. And you just, you, it's really about finding what works for you and finding what it is that lights you up, right? That's a big part of what I do. Like you've clearly found this love of cooking Asian food because of your past life with Japan or your own experience. And there's so many resources out there, but the challenge is they're all so overwhelming, like much of anything else in this digital age. Yes. Um, <laughs> there's a, there's, there's a, and there's misinformation. Yes. So it, makes it, it makes it difficult. It was almost easier doing food study 20 years ago online because there was only more reputable and they're not all equal. You know, it's so important that we're looking at the people who, yeah, they've studied it. They've looked at the science. They've done the thing. They've tried it themselves, but also recognizing everybody's body is different. So what works for me may not work for you. And that's something that we don't talk about either because we're always cookie cuttering (laughs) in life to find the easy thing. So I love that the three things that you've really talked about are cooking can be fun and it can be easy. And you can see that in your cookbook, the orgasmic cookbook that I can't wait for you to talk about. Healthy doesn't have to be boring, right? And your mindset around food is really incredible based on where you've come from and where you are. But I want to talk about, now we're going to switch to some of the fun stuff. I think your story is really powerful for people who have had this mindset or do of food is bad and to see that you really can change that. And food can be fuel and food can be fun at the same time. It's not one or the other. It's not one or the other. And so- one of the things I was looking at in your cookbook, it was your Tom Yum peanut sauce. Yeah. So mm. it brought to light. So I am an avid experimenter in the kitchen as well as cocktails. Cocktails are my jam. And I've been playing mm. with clarified cocktails, which is where you take a cocktail and you wash it through some milk fat perspective, like yogurt or coconut milk or whatever, and you let it curdle and you strain it all out. And what you get is this beautiful, clear cocktail reason I tell you this, and I was attracted to the Tom Yum, is I'd never had Tom Yum soup. And in typical Trish fashion, rather than starting with a simple cocktail, I started with a clarified Tom Yum soup cocktail. I love it. So I went all in. I made Tom Yum soup. I tasted that. I ran that through coconut milk and lime juice. And it had it was a vodka drink and strained all that through coconut milk and whole milk. And That was one fabulous, sweet, savory, and spicy cocktail. And so I'm a new Tom Yum fan. And for all of you listening, if you've never had Tom Yum, try it. But apparently it can be used for a multitude of purposes from soup to peanut sauce. 
Yeah. That's <laughs> <Bunch of> cocktails. <laughs> I know. I love, well, see, I love taking something that's not normally used in a certain way and, and revamping it, just like you have. I mean, what a, you, I, I mean, I need to drive to your house and make, make up cocktails with you. <laughs> I could legally ship it to you, I would. I know, right? Yeah. Come on, shipping laws. But anyway, <laughs> it was, it's so funny that you say that because I've never had Tom Yum soup either. And I just, like, we have a really big, Asian grocer in Canada, which thankfully now ships its dry goods. And so every once in a while, I'll just be like, I have no idea what that is, add to cart. And then I'll get it and I'll smell it and be like, I'm going to try this with it. And I just go for it. And I'm sure there's Asian people watching going, but I, you know, <laughs> I'm making new creations and I'm having fun with it. And I think that's what food needs to be is bringing you back to like childlike wonder with I, my husband laughs at me like I will mess up if you get like a frozen pizza that mm-hmm. needs to be I will mess it up because I don't follow directions like I'm like it said 20 minutes but I thought 22 would be better at a slightly <laughs> different degrees in the oven because <laughs> different and I I don't follow recipes well my husband just shakes his head he's like what's wrong with you you can make this elaborate crazy thing nobody's ever heard of but you can't cook a box beef <laughs> I have to put more stuff on them. And so they don't cook in the time a lot right. because they're never good. No, what they never come with enough cheese. No, I don't. Or anything they, else for that matter, except yeah. for pepperoni. Sometimes too much. And and I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm saying that as somebody who could just eat a stick of pepperoni, but there comes a point on the pizza where it's. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 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 So the other, there's two other recipes that I wrote down that I'm really excited to try because I use a lot of hoisin sauce, but I've never made hoisin sauce. So I was looking at your recipe and I'm pretty excited to try making my own hoisin sauce. You know, it's easy actually. Like after you make it the first time, you're like, why didn't I ever make this before? (laughs) Yeah, I look at that and I'm like, it's exactly like, I'm like, why do I buy enchilada sauce? Enchilada sauce is so much better and easier made on my stovetop. Why did I ever buy enchilada sauce? Now I'm looking at this recipe of hoisin sauce and I'm like, why did I ever buy that jar full of junk and corn syrup and preservatives? Why did I ever do that? Why did I not know? Or why did I not think about it? So I'm super excited about that. (laughs) For anybody who's listening, if you ever wondered what the hell is hoisin sauce, in Amanda's recipe, you have peanut butter, honey, sriracha, soy, black pepper, garlic, turmeric, and a little bit of broth. Like those are things you have around the house all the time. Yeah, or at least I it do. And if you if you don't, there's probably only a couple you got to go get. Yeah, and if your house it's doesn't very- have sriracha, you need to get some. I couldn't even live without that. I just. What's oh. life without sriracha? <laughs> so one of my favorite snacks, and I might be in the minority, is I love hard-boiled eggs. They're a great protein fix. They keep me full. They're easy. I can take them on the go. I love them. I'm the only one in my house that does. Everybody else hates them. I'm like, fine, more for me. But yeah. <laughs> I found from Spiceology, sriracha salt. I have been sprinkling that on all the eggs what did I put it on the other night? I made like a stir fry and I like sprinkled sriracha salt on the top of it. And it was just like the best little finishing touch. So I need to make a note to put the link in the show notes to the sriracha salt yes. spiceology, y'all, because it is so good. And a little bit goes a long way. I mean, that jar, I think I bought it last October and I still have like two thirds of it left. Like it's just a sprinkle, but those are my cheats. Just finding those little 
those yeah, little fun things agree. in the grocery store and smell, taste, or he'll just buy them and see what happens, like you said. Yeah. Oh, I think the other thing that nobody ever talks about with nutrition is that spices tend to have some of the most concentrated different types of vitamins in them. And they can really help flesh out the diet too, to mm. make our body healthier. So, I mean, turmeric, for example, I try and put it in a lot of things because if you put turmeric and pepper together, it's like cancer fighting extraordinaire. Like, it's so good for your body. Well, we could do a whole nother episode on that. Right? <laughs> okay. An- another note. I have so many notes now. I have to go back and watch this recording myself. Watch, listen, whatever your jam is. You're probably going to find this on YouTube. It'll be on Spotify, Apple, Google, all the places. If you can't find it, if you can't find video, you can message one of us and we'll find it. (laughs) Uh, The other one, and the reason I love the idea of this one is I think we get so locked into ideas of what food is and what it's supposed to be. And I don't mean good or bad, but I mean like Mexican food or Asian food or Italian food. And you have quite often specific styles of cooking that go with each one of those cuisines. And so when I saw taco veggie stir fry, I was like, yes, she's speaking my language because I use my wok for everything Asian or not. I just, I love the way that it cooks, but if you, I mean, stir fry, it's just veggies cooked in hot oil in a pan. You guys doesn't have to be Asian. So simple. Yeah. I mean, I always try and incorporate vegetables into just about everything because they're so yeah. good for our body. But again, they need to taste good. Boiled broccoli. No, 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 no. We don't do that around here. <laughs> right? Yeah. The That's one of my favorites. And one of the recipes that was definitely voted by the most people to be like the favorite from the cookbook was the taco pasta, mm. which really good. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. See, and I love the combining of that. And I think it's that's where we... Where those of us that, and I love to cook, but let's assume that you don't love it and you've got your five standard recipes that you rotate, that's fine if that works for you. But if you're getting bored, switch out an ingredient instead of making it Mexican, make it Italian. If it's Italian, throw in ground beef instead of Italian sausage and throw in some taco seasoning instead of Italian seasoning. You can use those same recipes that your family loves but you can mix them up so that you're not bored. Cause at the end of the day, you're not only cooking for your family, you're also cooking for you. And we have such a tendency to forget that in this service mentality, um, the servant mentality that us as cooks, we just have innately is to serve food and to watch people eat our food. But all that said, you can cook for you first. And I, if you need a permission slip, I'm yeah. giving you permission to cook all the foods that you love. They will eat it or they won't. They will not starve. And mix it up the way you want it and see what happens. I I think that's so important. Yeah, I'm assuming we're going to have a lot of women watching this. Like as women, we tend to put our needs last. And I think it's really important that we prioritize our own needs and what we're doing. The other thing is, I mean, people think this is odd and I don't care. So I'm going to share it. So hopefully somebody out there is going to go, oh, I have permission to do this. So my husband eats like a fifth grader fries and battered chicken and burgers don't really eat much of that. So I typically am cooking two dinners almost every night. Mm. I'm okay with that. And it's okay if you're not eating the same thing as everybody else at the table. There's nothing wrong with that. No, there's not. And if you're He's okay with that, really- <laughs> if you're okay with that, it's great. I talked to so many women who are doing it and aren't okay with it. And I think that's really where it hurts my heart, right? Because yeah. there's a way to put both of your needs 
in front. And there's also a way, and I'm talking more to like moms of kids and not full-grown husbands, which are harder to influence and change. (laughs) But there are ways to influence and help guide them to eat or to adjust what you're cooking to work for both of you. Like one of my favorite ways to do that with a family of like a multitude of, I'm not going to say picky, we'll just say eccentric tastes or different tastes. I mean, things like a taco bar or a potato bar, a way that everybody can personalize it, but you're only cooking one thing is also a great solution. But again, as Amanda said, it works for them. It works for her. It's about finding what works for you and makes you happy. Yes. And and that's really what it is at the end of the day and and giving yourself permission to find your path in that because it might take trial and error to see what what works well. Um, And I love the ideas that you presented, like anything where there's a spread of food and and it is easier when there's actually more people at the table. I know it doesn't always feel that way, but to have those spread out dinner types, plus they're fun. Who doesn't? They are. I like getting my hands in the food and doing all the things. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I want to mix them all together and find out what all the textures taste like together. But my daughter is like, oh my God, do not mix all those things together. Right. And that's actually such an interesting aspect that we don't talk about with food either is textures Mm -hmm. because we all have different loves with textures. Like some people it's like, if it's not crunchy, like it bothers them or like I like, and I know it's almost going to sound like a weird descriptor, but I actually like slimy. Like there's something so palatable about that. Okay. Texture. Well, you bring up a great point and then we probably ought to close it out. Here we go again. Like I could literally talk food all day, but I think one of the things that we have a tendency to forget is we really do eat with all of our senses, right? Mm -hmm. So when you start labeling food as good or bad or pretty or ugly or, and start, it's just just like the train of negative self-talk, right? Like Mm -hmm. all of those were like, we eat with all of our senses. And so- cook from the rainbow, eat all the fabulous colors. And when you do, you're getting the nutrients and the vitamins that you need. Your eyes are happy. Your taste buds are happy. And with a variety of textures, you get all of that sensory experience. And the cool thing I think is when you have all those sensory experiences, to me, that's where conversation starts around the table because people want to know how things are made. What was that? What did I taste? And even if the meal you make is a failure, the truth is that does not define you. It's one shit meal and it happens to anybody who's willing to experiment. However, even bad food creates laughter and conversation. So own it, laugh about it, either muddle through it or throw it out and eat some cereal. It's okay. Yes. Permission granted. (laughs) Yes. Amanda and I are giving you all the permission slips today. Yes. I love that so much. And you just hit the nail on the head. Like it's really about an opportunity to come together and have some fun and make some new memories. I mean, that's the great thing about being around the dinner table. Yeah, it really, really is. So many of our memories are tied to food. And I really, one of my goals is to like recreate those moments that I feel nostalgic for, right? Through recipes or, you know, whatever the case may be. It has been such a pleasure talking to you. I'm going to give you a few seconds to talk about your cookbook and anything you have going on to let everybody know where they can find you and the best way to connect with you. And then we'll sign off. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. So for everybody watching, this is my cookbook called the Orgasmic Cookbook because I believe that food should just be as good as, you know, that. So. (laughs) 
And this is really about just exploring different ways of looking at food, different types of combinations that you maybe haven't played around with before and getting curious about it. Also, a lot of them, so I worked with clients for a while. I started in health and wellness coaching, getting kids okay with vegetables and finding different ways of incorporating them into dishes. Like, for example, the taco pasta, that's been a hit around a lot of family dinner tables. So there's there's a lot in there for you to explore personally, but also that you can share with your family that should hopefully spark some new interest and intrigue being around the dinner tables. <laughs> that's available on Amazon and you can find me most readily on Facebook. If you look up at Amanda Rose author, I'm sure we will have a link somewhere because who the hell actually searches for things nowadays? I don't know. <laughs> for you. And feel free to reach out anytime you want to talk about cookbooks, weight loss, health, uh, business, heck, anything. I'm, I'm here for it. <laughs> well, and you do, you do have your finger in all the things. And I love that. You can definitely tell that you're a multi-passionate entrepreneur. And it's so much fun to hear all the different things that you're involved in. I would also say, if you get the cookbook, I want to hear what you've cooked out of it. And I'm sure Amanda does too. And if there are other things and other topics that you want to hear about on Mealtime Magic and Mayhem, shoot us a note and I will be sure to add it to the list. Thank you everyone for listening. Thank you, Amanda, for being here. And I will talk to you again soon. Thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, please go hit that follow button, subscribe, leave us a review. And if you're ready to change what mealtime looks like for you, breaking that cycle of chaos and having more fun in the kitchen, build some confidence and discover your love of cooking, schedule your free Dish with Trish call at the link in the show notes. We'll chat a few minutes and you'll walk away with personalized strategies to take your mealtime routine from tired to inspired. See you next time.